before we like dive into everything, I just want to take a second to, to thank you to the listeners, just because I know you're, for, you know, very in demand in what you do. You're super busy. You have a family. And we've been trying to set this up for a while. And I really appreciate you bearing with me. Also, shout out to your assistant, Kelly, Thank who's you. been dealing with my shit <laughs> the past month or so. But anyway, man, it's just, it's great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this. And uh, before we go you know, into our first topic, I've always wanted to ask a plastic surgeon if like, you know, if you're just walking around, maybe, you know, out with your family or something, you guys just like look at people's faces and they're like, oh, you know, that guy could use a nose job. She could use a <laughs> little lift or something. But like, are you hyper aware of like just the human anatomy just because of like what you do? I mean, I think you can't not be the question. And it's a tricky thing because that immediately sounds very sort of judgy and people are weirded out by that. But look, and we'll probably get into it. My dad's an architect. He can't walk into a building without looking at how it's made. And I think that's the same thing. I mean, the reality is the judgy part is suddenly, well, that means that he's thinking about how I'm messed up and how he can fix me and this and that. It's not that. It's more just a matter of like, oh yeah, you know, the cartilage on the nose has this feature rather than that feature. They're, you know, sort of this and that. It honestly becomes like looking at and appreciating a building because I'm fascinated by how we're made. And this is only part of that. Yeah, no, I totally, totally get that. And like as a musician, sometimes I'll be like the annoying person, like I'll ruin my own date and like maybe look at them. I'm in the bar and I'm like, you know, that's a little flat and she like people you know you're hundred percent it's hard to turn off but anyway yeah so right before we dive in if you want to just go ahead let the people know who you are what your practice is all about floor is yours sure thank you i'm jubin gabay i'm a board certified plastic surgeon in beverly hills i'm the clinical chief of plastic surgery at cedar sinai medical center i basically specialize in breast and body contouring pretty much most of my stuff that i focus on is below the neck and i love my job yeah nice man yeah so why i wanted to have a you know you're the first plastic surgeon here on the podcast that I've had. And in like getting ready for this episode, I was blown away by how like deep the history of plastic surgery is and where it stems from. And I think maybe just like briefly going over maybe like the modern history of plastic and cosmetic surgeon actually before that, because in my own research, and maybe I'm like the most clueless person in the world, <laughs> but I didn't realize that plastic and cosmetic were used like interchangeably, like, but there's a real difference between the two. Would you like to maybe just before we dive into specifically like cosmetic surgery, maybe just like explain the difference between like plastic, cosmetic, reconstructive, I'll tell you, you're going to see that I think like everything we deal with, there are semantics left and right. And sometimes one thing means the same. Sometimes it totally is different. I mean, looking at the root of the word plastic surgery, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of why it's called plastic. Most people think it's because, you know, you're putting plastic in the body or anything like that. The reality is it comes from the Greek origin plastikos, which means to mold. And I do think at the root of what we do is we mold the body. And honestly, that to me was the single driving force and the most interesting thing in getting me into this field. And it is that no matter what aspect of this field I'm working on, I'm able to use someone's anatomy to solve the problem. I'm able to use their body and all the stuff that it has to create something different. So with that in mind, though, using that same philosophy in everything we do, the reality is that plastic surgery as a field covers a lot of different areas at probably its core is a reconstructive focus. So really, I think one of the first areas it was used in was in India hundreds of years ago, people get punished by having their noses chopped off. And basically, 
a very smart guy decided, hey, we got to fix these people. So I'm going to use some tissue from the scalp over here, or the forehead over here, flip it down to create a nose. So it is a reconstructive type of thing where now we're using our techniques for reconstruction of cancer, reconstruction of trauma problems, congenital problems, stuff like that. While then you know, with that, it borne out a whole host of other things. So now sort of the official designations of plastic surgery are general reconstructive plastic surgery, microsurgery, where we will take pieces of a body, literally separate it from the body and plug it back into a new part of the body. Burn surgery, we deal with a lot of crazy stuff there. Hand surgery, interestingly, is also one of the subspecialties of plastic surgery. Congenital, facial congenital stuff, craniofacial surgery, we call it. You know, kids who are born with significant facial differences will, you know, focus on. And then, of course, I'd say probably the thing people think about most when they think of plastic surgery is aesthetic or cosmetic surgery. And, you know, that's sort of where I focus the majority of my attention, but it's only a small part of the general field. Right. This podcast episode is sponsored by Arbor Vitae Wellness Center here in Santa Monica, California, where they offer services such as chiropractic care, physical therapy, acupuncture, and massage therapy. A lot of you have heard me talk about injuries I've dealt with on the podcast, and I reached out to Arbor Vitae a few months ago to get help with my neck and back pain. And the owner, Dr. Gerges, uh, we call him Dr. G, uh, he's done nothing short of an amazing job. He didn't just help relieve the physical pain, uh, but he showed me how the mental and spiritual aspects of my life are important to maintain for my physical health. A lot of you guys that listen to the podcast are musicians, athletes, or dancers, and we regularly get aches and pains, and it's so important to get help from somewhere like Arbor Vitae that takes the time to understand our demanding lifestyles. And I mean, no matter what you do, we're all spending time sitting down every day. You know, we're on our computers, we're driving and whatnot. So if you just want to feel better in general, Arbor Vitae Wellness Center is the place for you. All right, let's get this episode started. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I understand which we're going to dive into in terms of, you know, some of the hot topics within cosmetic surgery. But I think the less sexy side of plastic surgery, these like really incredibly helpful things, people with real illnesses or deformities and, you know, you guys being able to improve the quality of their lives. I feel like in my research, that is the story that, in my opinion, isn't told enough. And, you know, and I guess focusing on cosmetic surgery now. So where I guess where I started was like the, somewhere around the 60s or 70s is where it seems to be there was this major boom in people basically just wanting to improve or, you know, change their aesthetic in some type of way. And of course, like, you know, people attribute it to Hollywood. People, everyone has their own theories as to like what really drove it. But I guess what's your take on that in terms of the history, the modern history of it all? Sure. You know, it's been a really interesting evolution. I'd say probably the first sort of nuances of a truly aesthetic plastic surgery started like they started as one-offs here and there. You know, there was a, a guy in the early 1900s who was taking out a huge fatty tumor from a woman's body, her leg or butt, I think. And, you know, he decided, the surgeon decided to put it in her breast and use it as a breast augmentation. Well, for so many reasons, that was a big fail. And then as the century wore on, there were attempts that kind of got stuff done but weren't spectacular. You start to see this history really in my area, in Beverly Hills. It started to emerge with people doing little things here and there. And I'd say the big first attempts were things like rhinoplasty, facelifts, chin augmentations, things that were sort of immediately accessible. It's really interesting, actually. Just recently, someone auctioned off Marilyn Monroe's medical records from her 
rhinoplasty and chin augmentation. There was a chest x-ray. You know, it's just like, those are cool because they're celebrity things, but you start to see these roots of plastic surgery early on. You kind of see what the guys did. So at the beginning, the first step of this evolution that you're talking about was really more just like, let's try something. Okay. (laughs) And then I would say right around the 70s, there was a huge evolution from, okay, more than just let's just pull a face or let's just shave down a nose or trim, trim. People started to really start to look at the anatomy of what they were working on. And they started to see what are these structures Mm. and how can we fundamentally move them. I think one of the most important discoveries, if you will, or realizations was by a surgeon named Tord Skoog in 1974. He changed the way we do facelifts. In the old days, you know, you, you see these people, you see these almost caricatures of human beings where the old days they did a facelift, they just pulled the hell out of mm. their faces and they're windswept and they look like they're just, you know, they just sat on a cactus or something. And that was because in the old days, people were just grabbing the skin and pulling the hell out of it, literally. So Skoog started to realize, hey, there is a deeper layer throughout the entire body and certainly in the face that this thing, you can manipulate this deeper layer and it's stronger. And by using this deeper layer, you can do things without totally distorting the skin on the face. It makes for better scars. It makes for a less crazy appearance and stuff like that. And that was a big step forward. And it was revelations like this in the 70s and 80s that sort of set us up for the future. So other things was really like understanding how the nose is designed, how the nose anatomy works, understandings of liposuction. Liposuction was actually created by a dermatologist in the in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, these tools started to develop and people started using the tools. And it was it was a big step forward because for the first time, people could actually do things that their patients wanted, but before were not able to do. And so they started to. But you know, looking back at some of the work back then compared to what we have now, it looks like shit. I mean, it just <laughs> looks terrible. And I still see patients who've had work done then. And I mean, it's it's a shock when I see them. So, you know, the next step, I would say, started kind of in the 90s into the 2000s and is arguably still happening where now we're really refining a lot of these techniques. There aren't a huge number of truly new procedures that have popped on the scene in the last decade or two. It's just that what we're doing, we're getting a lot better at. I would say probably the newest thing that really has become popular is a BBL, which I know you want me to talk about later on, the Brazilian butt lift or fat transfer to the butt, really fat transfer as a whole. But yeah, I mean, we're just sort of, we're starting to really get good at what we do. Mm -hmm. And rather than just, you know, hammering something down, we're chiseling now, we're sculpting (laughs) now. Yeah, no, I I was uh, looking at that in terms of, I think one of the articles I was reading was trying to point out that one of the biggest goals is to become less and less invasive, the procedures. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, because I, I then also learned about like the recovery process and everything that goes into it, the preparation. So I guess, you know, making it as easy for the patient, for them to be just happy about the whole experience, it just makes a lot of sense that that that's always the goal moving forward. Yeah. And I was also reading in terms of last comment I'll make on the history of it all. Was I found it interesting sometime in the 70s, there was a I forget the name of the magazine, but there was like, in hopes of reestablishing the image of plastic surgery, I forget there was a magazine that was started where people could like subscribe. And there was like a real movement that like some of the top plastic surgeons came together to like reestablish the image of it all. And it's interesting, I guess I'm interested in that because it goes to show that like the stigma has always been here and that plastic surgeons have like tried to, I guess, I don't know what it is about like whether people are scared of it or if they think it's whatever they think about it. But anyway, if you want to comment on that. There's a lot there, a lot, because we're talking about a couple of different things. 
Number one is potentially the stigma of plastic surgery. We're still dealing with that now, but before you could not, I mean, like if someone heard you were getting plastic surgery, people were judged, people would hide it, people wouldn't say anything about it. So from the standpoint, and this is again, cosmetic surgery, from the standpoint of our society, for better and for worse, the stigma of having work done is really, really going down. I think social media had a lot to do with that. I think just sort of where we are as a culture had a lot to do with that in the sense that people are more openly discussing it. I think it's a little bit dangerous, and this is a whole nother conversation about social media, but a lot of our social media channels and our media channels are starting to see that our body images are extraordinarily fragile and you got to be careful about not saying that hey plastic surgery is the only solution stuff like that okay i mean look i've got two kids i worry about this all the damn time so you know again in one regard there has been a evolution of us as a society becoming more comfortable with the idea of having work done where some of the people are coming out there and saying, yeah, I did this, you know, I did it. I changed it. Now at the same time, this is a major pet peeve of mine. So I'm going to go on a little <laughs> tangent, but unfortunately we still have a lot of very prominent people in our society looking at the Hadid girls here as one saying, nope, I'm naturally like this. I've never had anything done. This is who I am. I woke up this way. And I think that is such dangerous bullshit mm. that they put out there because that actually is exactly the thing that really messes up people's body images, okay? And makes people, makes vulnerable people, our kids, our, you know, people with self-confidence issues, whatever, anything, normal people, me, you, it makes us crazy to think, holy shit, there's something wrong with me because look at how I look and look at how this person looks. And she told me that she's naturally like this. So of course, you know, so that's the other kind of dangerous side about plastic surgery. And that is actually why I think it is so important to remove the stigma from our society and make people more comfortable and open about talking about the work that they get done, both good and bad. Because you know what? People get work done all the time and regret it. Not all the time, hopefully, but you know they do. Or they may get it done for the wrong reason, and that's bad. But you know, I think the, again, going back to your question, the stigma issue and the image issue, when done right, I think plastic reconstructive cosmetic surgery can be a life-altering thing in a completely positive way, okay? Mm -hmm. So we as a society, we as a community of plastic surgeons, I do think all strive to help the general population understand that, hey, when done right, for the right reasons, with the right mindset, with the right preparation, support, amazing. Mm -hmm. You can do some wonderful things. So that's one. Going back to your question of publications enhancing the sort of social perception or just the general perception of plastic surgery, there have been a lot of other things that I think have been so positive about our community with regard to publications that have come out in the last several decades. And that is that we are putting out publications in scientific journals, creating our own scientific journals where we as plastic surgeons are showing how innovative we can be, how scientific we can be about the stuff that we do. And those are exactly the things that have helped push our field over and science forward just like nothing else. I'll tell you interesting sort of side notes here. In the history of plastic surgery, we have contributed to massive advances in science. The first kidney transplant was done by Dr. Joseph Murray, a plastic surgeon at Harvard, you know, and the reason why was because we are used to manipulating the body, moving the body, re you know, transplanting things and stuff like that. So, you know, he was a, a huge force in that field. Stem cell technology has been largely driven by plastic surgery. All of these things, you know, they're in our camp. So it's more than if you want to be crass about it, it's more than just tits and ass, you know, it's, <laughs> it's us pushing medicine, science, technology forward 
for so many positive purposes. Yeah. Wow. I think the middle ground that I personally found, especially after learning so much about it, is that I don't think there's anything wrong at all with someone saying, I think that if I get this procedure done, I personally will feel better about myself, mm -hmm. feel more beautiful. But that the middle ground though, is that as long as it's safe, as long as they're going to reputable people and getting it done safely. And because we can talk about this as we go on, but then also learning about the dangers of basically wanting to get that discount and going <laughs> abroad and you get what you pay for that. That's one of the oldest, you know, lessons yep. that in, in the world, you get what you pay for. And, and we can talk about that. But sure. Anyway, I guess moving on to something that I thought would be really interesting. I basically assumed that I was like wondering just what it's like for someone to maybe sit and reflect and say, I feel this way about myself, my body, and to really inquire about getting a cosmetic procedure done and what it's like, just like emotionally and mentally to go through that journey, like just before and after. And I think that's where you as a surgeon in terms of like what might make you separate yourself from other doctors, I think is maybe how you help someone go through that journey, not just doing the procedure, but of course, I'm sure you can speak on that. Yeah. I mean, listen, you talk about something that is, I think the reason why I do what I do. Plastic surgery hits so many highlights in the things that I at least find interesting. And I, and I dare say anyone would find the peaks of what we do or the things that what we deal with fascinating. And that is that, you know, I'm dealing with so much. It's so much more than, well, I'm going to make this breast bigger. You know, no, that's like, honestly, one of the smallest things we deal with psychology, psychiatry of patients. We deal with family relationships. We deal with personal trauma, if you want to use that phrase. Then, you know, we cross that with simply dealing, you know, figuring out realities of life that we have to work around. Technology, anatomy, my own personal preferences. You know, plastic surgery is this crossroads of so many incredible aspects of life that it's a lot more than, you know, just some small little thing. And this is truly where you get that cross of medicine, of art, of humanity and stuff like that. So we're dealing with issues that people have had her, their whole lives or recently. We're dealing with everything there. So to sort of get to the chase of at least what I love about this field is I start almost every conversation with my patients by explaining to them, no one's going to die if they do not have plastic surgery done. Okay. So my world is not like that of, let's say a trauma surgeon or a cardiac surgeon, cancer surgeon, where, you know, if I don't intervene, you're going to die. Mm. So our motivations and our purposes change dramatically just because of that. Okay. And the background I give here is I have a lot of people who come to me and say, Hey, I went to a bunch of different plastic surgeons and, you know, this guy told me, okay, I walked in the door. He looked at me, said, you need a tummy tuck. That's it. That's your only option. Bye. You're literally as cold as that. Mm -hmm. And that makes me nuts. That makes me nuts because it goes so hard against what I think should be the right approach and philosophy to plastic surgery. Okay. The reality is no one's going to die, so they don't need it. So that means that whatever I do, I sure as hell have to make sure that it fits within sort of the framework of what my patient wants. Because you know what, if I tell them you only have this option and they truly don't want that, can't handle it, are not ready for that, they shouldn't do it, okay? Now, one of the reasons why these patients come in and say, Dr. So-and-so said I can only do a tummy tuck is because let's say something like a tummy tuck will give them the most definitive the best solution. So they're putting it out there because why would you compromise otherwise? And I can appreciate that, but you also have to respect this patient, the patient that comes into your office 
and their needs. And again, this goes back to the philosophy of plastic surgery. So this is where I have a big conversation with them. And I tell them, hey, number one, I want to listen to what you're interested in. I want to listen to what brought you here. You know, and by that, I mean more than simply, I had kids and they jacked me up. Okay. I want to know what personally are you looking at that you don't like? Are there other people, factors, things like that are compelling you to do this? I want to know what is your life right now? What can you afford to do from a recovery standpoint? You know, are your kids going to just be sitting there bouncing on you all day long and prevent you from having a safe, slow recovery? Or, you know, can you take a month off? So I want to know all this stuff about people. And, you know, in doing that, you kind of get to know the person. So before I even look at them, that's what I do. I learn about them. I learn about their medical issues, of course. I learn about their life. And then I look at their body and I will, with them, go over exactly what I see from an anatomic standpoint. And usually when I do my stuff, which is more, again, body contouring, I look at the skin. I look at the fat underneath the skin. I look at their muscles. I look at any intra-abdominal stuff, you know, stuff inside the abdomen. I look at whatever other factors there. And by breaking things down into a multi-step thing, I can say, okay, skin is loose, skin is stretched. You have zero fat under your skin or you have a lot of fat under your skin. Your muscles have been stretched out. You know, like you put those pieces together and then once you have that diagnosis, once you've broken down anatomically what's going on, then you start talking about all of the different potential interventions we can offer to the patient mm -hmm. to give them various solutions. And finally, you then talk about what do those solutions mean, both from the standpoint of the quality or intensity of the result they can get, the type of recovery they can expect, hell, honestly, even the cost of certain procedures, you know, and all of those things. So there, there becomes a huge amount of information, which becomes overwhelming at times. And then it is my discussion and almost negotiation with the patient to whittle those things down and little by little find for them what is their best solution. Again, in the context of how they want to look, what they can deal with from a recovery standpoint, what they want aesthetically and all that stuff. So it's this massive world of variables and this and that and points that we talk about to help focus down into one really good solution. And last thing I swear, when you're done with that answer, that's where you need to be super confident in it and be in a place where you no longer ham and haw about, well, I don't know, maybe that, I don't know, maybe that you want to go into surgery where you and your patient have a very clear idea of what you're going to achieve so that when your patient wakes up and looks down, they don't say, holy shit, what is this? I didn't want this. Hmm. Instead, they say, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's why I'm here. This is it. Wow. Wow. You know, something you said earlier about a patient giving an example of a doctor that just, you know, off the bat said you need a tummy tuck and didn't really have this in-depth conversation with them. I feel like a true expert is someone who understands, especially someone who deals with clients, is someone who understands why you need to be patient with someone who is not an expert in this field. We all think that we know what we want. We go to a trainer and they say, make me ripped. Let me just focus on ab exercise. And then they're like, no, I actually need to work out your whole body. And right. but like a, a great trainer you know, will show that patients that understand, yeah, of, of course they don't know what they're talking about. I do, I right. put in the work. And so I'd really respect that you do such a in-depth, I mean, really, you're just being a human being. That's really what you're being. <laughs> I mean, yes, so much yes, yeah. so much yes. And I mean, I joke about it with my office staff. Sometimes I legitimately, I feel like some of my colleagues out there, my competitors, do my work for me in terms of you know mm -hmm. driving people to me because they are not they lose that human feeling they lose that compassion and understanding and they're just so cold and you know hit everything with a sledgehammer that you know they lose the humanity people don't want that mm -hmm. 
especially now, you know, we want to be, people want to be loved. People want to be understood. They want to be heard. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. And I feel like I can say that I've seen you walk your talk in the sense that since I've been following you now for about a month or two now, you know, I thought it was really cool that like you would post pictures of people because some of you guys post pictures of how, you know, people are feeling like right after their procedures. But you are one of the only uh, surgeons I've seen post pictures saying like, oh, our patient that got something done six or nine months ago, you know, here's a picture of them and that like they're enjoying their life, they're enjoying their new look. And I think like I just really admired that it's really clear that there's a real relationship between you and your patients. That, that's just really cool, man. Thank you. you know, Thank so, you. And I, I love it. I mean, it, it's fun. Listen, don't you want to get along well with the people that you work with? You want to be in an environment where you enjoy who you're with. And, and the right way for me to do that is to fully understand them and honestly go forward with working with people when we both know it's the right relationship. I mean, maybe to answer that, I, I turned down a lot of people. And I'm proud of it because I think doing the wrong thing for someone is just the wrong thing. And I'm not saying I turn people down because, oh, I don't like your attitude. You know, you're kind of an asshole or <laughs> I don't like how you look. No, of course not. I will sort of turn someone down usually if I feel like their goals and my goals are different. If I feel that their expectations and my understanding of what I can deliver are different. You know, if someone comes in and says, I want to look like this, or I want to look like that. And I kind of tell them, look, I can get you here, not there. It's not the right fit. It's absolutely not the right fit. So yeah, you got to do the right thing. And by doing the right thing, that's one of the best things to ensure that you get a result that people are happy with. Absolutely. There's a certain type of confidence we all carry ourselves with when we go out into the world and we know for a fact our hair looks fucking great. Uh, what, my girlfriend dumped me, I'm getting evicted, lost my job, doesn't matter because at least my hair looks great. That's how powerful good looking hair can be. Cutting up barbershop here in Santa Monica is gonna have you looking right, for your next date, whether it's for work, or if you just want to look in the mirror and be proud of that person that looks back. Ladies, gentlemen, scammers, thieves, if you're in LA and want to guarantee a good looking head on your shoulders, schedule your appointment with Cutting Up Barbershop and tell them OC sent you. You're welcome. Now uh, on to what everyone's been waiting for, <laughs> butts and more butts. But there you um, go. <laughs> so I would actually like to, I did not, I don't know what I anticipated, but I did not like realize that I would have so much fun getting ready for this episode because like, <laughs> I was like, I was going through memory, down memory lane in terms of like what I think I understand about plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery. And I remember that my very first interaction or like experience with like, like seeing what is a BBL, Brazilian mm -hmm. butt lift, it was when Snapchat started doing those like stories. And I just remember randomly, it literally went from like one influencer and then just like the next snap, of course, it was the doctor in Miami, like blasting rap music, just like cutting somebody open. I was just like, holy mm -hmm. shit, what is this? And, you know, and then of course, over the years, that was like probably 2015 or 16. And then over the years, it's just seeing how much it grew. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I've already said a term that I feel like probably should be explained in terms of what a BBL is. And I'm sure you can do a much better job. Sure. I mean, look, it's so funny because BBL, right? Three little letters, I feel those three little letters have changed plastic surgery over the last maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so BBL, what is it? Brazilian butt lift. What's funny is that it's all wrong. The words are all wrong for what it is. It's called a Brazilian butt lift because definitely Brazil was an innovator in not only doing the procedure, but sort of embracing the look. Think about the aesthetic of the United States in the 90s and probably early 2000s. Everyone was just rail thin, okay? And if you had even a semblance of an ass, 
you know, it was just bad. It was really bad. I mean, I remember like I went to college in that era and like one of the most common things you saw were girls wrapping sweaters around their waist to hide an otherwise normal looking butt, not a big butt, normal looking butt. Think back to JLo when she started. She was a phenomenon because of her huge butt. <laughs> well, go back and look at JLo's pictures from that era from the late 90s early 2000s and honestly you're going to look at her and say look what but it was nothing compared to what's in fashion right now so you know it's just interesting because that sparked an evolution of the aesthetic that is acceptable or popular in the United States now and that aesthetic is definitely a little more curvy than it had been in the past and honestly another thing is that it really was the proven concept from a medical standpoint or a surgical standpoint of us finally getting good at transferring fat using fat as a tool because one of the reasons why you know the BBL became possible is because only in that era did surgeons figure out that hey if you want to transfer fat you have to do it in a very specific way and you can then get reproducible results one of the big innovators of that was this guy Sidney Coleman in New York but more than anything people are doing it and again i think it just speaks to such an interesting shift so what happened South America was a major force in pushing this aesthetic and interestingly I think that might coincide with population shifts in the United States that now see a much bigger ethnic variability you know it's not just north european white people it's from all over the world and with that has come a different aesthetic so we have that happening we have the technology becoming possible okay and we have the social media that pushes it and shows it and embraces it those three things work together at one very special moment in time to shift things and then the other interesting thing is people call it a brazilian butt lift okay so butt lift first of all it doesn't necessarily lift the butt it changes it and i think equally important to that is not simply that we're making butts bigger but it's actually a global body proportion change kind of thing where we're looking for more of an hourglass type of aesthetic where you know yeah many of them may have larger breasts or bigger upper torso or just and upper torso but then we're able to shape things into a place where the waist is a little bit smaller the hips are a little bit bigger and I mean, I think that's the base of it. So when those things all came together, of course, as they always do, the first thing that happened is just big, big, big. Why big? God damn it, because we can do it. Okay. And that really is sort of this rationale. And you see people getting so exaggerated and big. And I mean, I have friends who are sort of, they're world famous because of that approach and technique. Certainly Dr. Miami is one of them. And again, that was an evolution. And interestingly, now we're at a next phase of that evolution where I won't say but people are not doing butts as big as they were in the past, because there certainly still are people that do. But we're starting to realize, hey, you can dial in whatever is right for your aesthetic. And then it goes back more to this understanding of finesse you know like with everything else first you just do crazy shit then you get good at it and you start doing it in a way that you think is positive so that's where it happened with the brazilian butt lift and then you know sort of tied into that and I'm, i really want to speak to this is also the humanization of plastic surgery mm. because what happened is that on social media so many of us came out and started showing what is our regular life okay what happens behind those closed doors of the operating room what is what's going on in our heads vis-a-vis -vis our patients and their you know their lives so all of that has taken something that I'll tell you a lot of the old guard of plastic surgery looked down at and I mean I still have guys I have these old guys that had a very well-placed guy 
just say, what the hell are these operations? And he just didn't understand it because he's from a different universe. But with that is, is this idea that the old guard of plastic surgeons used to look at themselves as gods that were infallible and no one ever talked to or could look at. But now, you know, you have Dr. Miami, who's, you know, look, he's a bit of a clown, okay? And that works well for him. But you also have other guys who are putting them, guys and girls, of course, everyone who is putting themselves out and showing what they do and what they understand. So I think with the Brazilian butt lift coming out and becoming a phenomenon, it's more than making a butt. It's just transformed plastic surgery. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious as to, and again, in preparing for this, I was like, man, you know what? Like, I almost wish we had a psychologist with us side by side in terms of like, I really wonder if, because I feel like just as a blanket, vague term, just going like, oh, Hollywood is to uh, blame, which is funny because that blame word, is it insinuates that surgery is a problem, like just from yeah. the get-go. But I guess I'd be curious as to like, maybe like what you think psychologically, maybe what it, it might be like for someone to... Uh, look at a celebrity and feel, you know, that maybe the need or does like to compare themselves to and like, how accurate is that in terms of like people looking inward and saying, I want to look better. And then maybe like specifically basing it off of like a trend of some celebrity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a couple days. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about there. That is such a big part of what I deal with. And just starting out, actually going back to something I said earlier, I think that there is such a huge responsibility on the part of celebrities, of public people, to be honest about the fact that, you know, the way they look is so much more than I woke up this way. I mean, they have makeup artists, they have designers working with them, they have plastic surgeons, they have fitness instructors, they have all this stuff, and they have infinite time and resources, okay? So their lives and the things that contribute to their look are so far outside of what a normal person can do. And, you know, let's not forget about Photoshop and image editing. So a huge thing of what I try to get out in the public is really explaining to people, yeah, what does it take to go into that and helping people understand that the things that they see are not always what they really appear to be. And so, you know, the psychology of that mismatch, that disconnect is huge in helping people when they come into my office. Because the first thing I go about is trying to say, hey, establishing what is it you're looking for again, right? Mm -hmm. And when they start to show me, I want to see this, I want to show that, I want to show that, I let's sit there and I break it down for them. I break down, okay, well, this person did that, this and that, they're hiding that, they had that enhanced, they had that you know, taken away. And by explaining what goes into it, it actually, I think, can be so positive because they understand that it's not just I woke up this way. And sometimes a lot, you know, sometimes people will then calm down, if you will, and say, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's not just that I look like an asshole. It's that, you know, this person does all these things. So, hey, maybe I don't feel so compelled to do that. Mm -hmm. And then and I'll tell you another really important thing to just put out there psychologically is you want to do the procedure for the right reason. You want to understand that someone is comfortable going into it. They know what they're going into, but then you also have to be super careful with them after the procedure because mm -hmm. some of the most well-adjusted people may still have a crisis of conscience when they're done with a surgical procedure and can unknowingly legitimately get into a deep depression about it. I will tell you, I spoke actually at length with one of my friends, a psychiatrist, also Dr. Gabay, funny enough, who, you know, we went over these topics and we really broke down all of the reasons why after surgery, people can have these psychological crises. And it's insane. It's a lot of stuff there and it's all normal humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think a lot of this is in my research specifically with the bbl procedure i'm actually realizing that a lot of people like 
surgeons like yourself, other surgeons in the States, I think a lot of you guys are getting the, I guess, getting the blame for what people look like after getting this procedure done, maybe in the Dominican Republic or some mm. Tijuana or something. And it's like, and I'm sure you can speak on that, but what do you have to say in terms of like the mindset of like someone going like, you know what, I can't afford to pay an American doctor. And of course, I mean, we could spend days talking about like the healthcare system in this country and prices and right. everything. But I'm guessing you would probably say like, if you just can't, if you can't get it done well, don't do it. Absolutely. Again, so much there. I think, first of all, one important point, just starting out is this question of, oh my God, usually she looks that way and what kind of criminal doctor did that to her there are a lot of people at fault in situations like that one is certainly a doctor who will allow someone to do that whatever that is okay two is a patient who is willing to do that and then three is actually the person who is judging what that is mm -hmm. because yeah granted when you make someone have a butt the size of a table that's a problem that's such an extreme but there is so much judgment on the part of other people as to the aesthetic desires of what someone wants okay and some sometimes people are too harsh to say like that's wrong well it's wrong for you it's not wrong for them but balance that with what's safe and what's going to cause problems for the rest of someone's life okay and yeah extreme fat transfer can be very bad extreme plastic surgery procedures can be very bad breast augmentation to make you look like you got you know huge watermelons in your breasts will stretch out your tissues drop down the breast make you dependent on implants for the rest of your life you know all these things so it's a gray line of what is right and what is wrong Okay, so I have seen just as shitty work from surgeons in the United States as I have seen from the Dominican Republic, Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, wherever. On the flip side, I have seen work coming out from around the world that is verging on magical. Okay, mm -hmm. there are great surgeons in the United States, there are great surgeons elsewhere and we have to accept that we have to we can't be so judgmental to say it's only in the united states that we have good doctors now the problem is that first of all sometimes differentiating who's a good doctor and a bad doctor is a little more difficult the farther away you get from home so that's one thing that we have to face and then two sort of speaking to something that you're saying when you get work done in another country the opportunities for the care that you need surrounding that work get smaller and smaller. So many of these people will truly go to another country, get something done, and within days go home and good luck. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I can't tell you again, as a clinical chief of plastic surgery at Cedars, I see people who have complications from this international work all the time and it can be absolutely terrifying not necessarily even because of the work that they got done and sometimes that's it but simply because they had a little hiccup that if handled appropriately at the time would be a non-issue but because they didn't have anyone to care for it it snowballed into sometimes literally life-threatening disaster that's the problem with getting care outside of the United States, or really more importantly, getting care done in a place that is is just not, not appropriate to give that care. I mean, I have friends who've had work done in Mexico, in Colombia, and they have been set up in a way that, yes, still maybe not ideal, but their contact with their surgeon and their clinic is quite good. The structure of care that they have been given is pretty good. It's just that hiccup of, well, what if something weird happens? Then you kind of get into trouble. So while I want to be the guy to say, only do it here, you just have to do it smart. Mm, yeah. And and I guess my last question in terms of for BBLs is it, of course, with any surgery, there is a chance of something going wrong, even death. But with BBL specifically, are there any specific risks that go with maybe BBLs or cosmetic surgeries uh, procedures in general? But I, in my research, 
it has been interesting seeing people in your field that have maybe like decided, like sworn off or like, I'm not doing BBL procedures. Like some people feel very passionately about that. Are there any objective truths? Like, is there something fundamentally dangerous about the procedure? So let's talk about that because <laughs> yeah, so much. Yes. There is fundamental danger to you sitting there and having the risk of an airplane falling through your ceiling right now. There's a risk of you getting hit by a car when you cross the streets. There's a risk of, you know, any operation. So that is something you always have to understand. And I'm not saying that to justify doing one thing over another. It is just that truly there is risk in anything you do. And like I said earlier, you're not going to die if you don't get plastic surgery. So, so really what that means is that we have to make sure that whatever we offer to our patients is relatively so safe that you can justify doing it. And on the flip side, is not so dangerous that if someone, you know, arbitrarily dies, I mean, it's, it's terrible or has a, a severe issue. Brazilian butt lifts in the early days, it was done very aggressively. One of the things was that when we transferred the fat, so we take the fat from somewhere in the body, okay, we do liposuction, we remove that fat, and then we take the fat and transfer it to the butt, okay? When we were starting, we would transfer it. First of all, the key is to do small little droplets of fat, little by little. So we make sure it's surrounded by healthy, good tissue that can feed it, give blood supply and all that stuff. In the old days, I think most of the surgeons would transfer the fat, certainly into the fat that is in the butt, but also into the muscles of the butt, the gluteus maximus muscle, especially. Okay. So the problem is that the gluteus muscle has some big veins in there. Those veins return blood to the heart. And what happened is people started to see that in some cases, that fat that's transferred into the butt would shoot into those veins, shoot into the heart, get stuck in the lungs, and in the worst case scenario, could kill people. That's obviously not so good. They started putting out studies, very poorly designed studies, but studies nonetheless that showed that there is a one in 3,000 death rate associated with a Brazilian butt lift. And I mean, that's a terrifying number. The problem is who the hell is doing these studies? The studies weren't good. And I will tell you, as a community, we have very rapidly and very aggressively evolved so that it is dogma now. You never, ever transfer fat into the muscle. And now we only transfer fat into the fat. And because of that, the complication rate has gotten, has been seen as much, much less. Now we're looking at potential death rates of one in 25,000 or, you know, a greater number than that. And that is, that's a number that is much safer than even tummy tucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my point with that is you've gotten some bad press from this operation in the old days because bad things were happening. And also the studies were not done very well, but that has also forced us as a community to look at what we're doing and to do it safer. When we do it now, the complication rate is significantly lower. It is a safe operation, but you always want to make sure you're doing it with someone who knows what they're doing. Because one of the fundamental things of plastic surgery or good surgery is, yeah, knowing how to do the operation is one thing, but you also have to know how to take care of the complications. And that's where you get into trouble because now there are a lot of people who are not properly trained in plastic surgery. There are a lot of, there's an ER doctor who's becoming known for skinny BBLs. And they like these guys don't know the nuances of how to manage complications, how to deal with things if they go wrong, how to make sure you do things so that they don't go wrong, you know? And that's really what is dangerous to me. It's unfortunate because I think as a person, to some degree, you have to understand that literally in every industry, there are opportunists and that there's, it's human nature. I'm sure like literally it is human nature and that like cavemen probably looked for literal shortcuts on the way to certain things. And like, it makes sense that 
in terms of like teeth, I kind of think about it as like the, you know, you hear uh, braces are seven, $8,000. And then there's like smile direct club that'll do the same right. thing for a thousand. It's like, right. you gotta, especially in like capitalism, like you gotta, you know, I wish it was just ingrained just fundamentally for people to understand that like you get what you pay for totally and, you know so because i i would be interested in whether bbl or just cosmetic procedures of like studies maybe on procedures done by doctors with certain qualifications or doctors at a just at a certain level i'm not sure how it'd be done but i think all of it being roped in people yeah. that yeah it's just it's unfortunate because yeah. it you're not able to know what the procedure actually is like when someone gives a fuck about the, yeah. the patient. And, you know, so yeah, the numbers, the raw numbers are, ah, that's unfortunate, man. But yeah, yeah. I um, mean, that's life, but it's also, it's funny. It's PR, it's business, it is marketing. It is our responsibility as a community to show the general community what's safe, what's not, to help people understand what's safe and what's not. Unfortunately, safe is never sexy, mm -hmm. right? So if you've got an old curmudgeon, you know, doctor with their glasses and their white lab coat and their bow tie standing there and saying, you need to do this safely. And those guys are usually the ones who say you should only put in literally like 200 cc's, 300 cc's of fat, which gives no result. That's what you should do. And that's it. That's not nearly as safe as some, you know, another person who's good looking, a slick talker, who's got great music behind them, has girls with huge this and huge that standing next to them. And, you know, the inspo pics that may or may not even be real, that's always a little more sexy, you know, and I'm not even using it in the sex term of the word. It's just like, people want that. So it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to fight. I mean, look, going and talking in venues like this, speaking with people like you, I think is so important. And honestly, when you show the reality of your field, the good and the bad, it's more fun. It's more appropriate. I think people are into it more when they go. Yeah, man. And I think tying into, you know, our conversation about BBLs, I think I'm kind of just interested in terms of maybe in your career, just like how you have seen whether the technology or the procedures itself, how it has evolved into becoming safer mm -hmm. and just easier and better for the patient as a whole. But yeah, what have you seen in your career? This has been that, I think I was able to catch the wave from the beginning where the beginning it was just like, we knew how to do lipo poorly, but you could do it. And people were just starting to say, hey, you can take fat from here and put it there. And it it's actually going to survive. So we started from that where, you know, what is the procedure? Take fat out, put it in. To now it has become very refined and predictable. So there's a lot there. And let me tell you, literally before, what do we used to do? We'd, we'd have someone come into the office, sort of tell them you can do this and hope for the best. Now we have a lot of stuff that we do to make the procedure better and more reliable. So I'll give you sort of the rundown of like my dream case. And I think that'll help set us into where have we been and where can we go? I'll see someone again, you talk to them. They are in you because they've seen your social media. They've seen all of your before and afters, which in the old days was not that common because forget about, I mean, Instagram or TikTok, there wasn't even a website. Okay. So that knowledge going in is is there we will do things before surgery to prepare our patients for the procedure nutrition hyperbaric oxygen therapy massage some people even advocate for weight fluctuation like gaining weight or, or losing weight you know so that's another thing now we'll do the procedure the procedure can be done with people under general anesthesia. It can be done with people awake under local anesthesia. That was an idea that used to be really poo-pooed and to some extent is by a lot of plastic surgeons. Well, guess what? I do it all the time. I'm you know, safe, I'm qualified, all that stuff. People do well. During surgery, the technology that we use, the lipo machine to extract fat, it's better. 
the technique that we use to extract that is better. We used to look at people and just say, let's just suck the hell out of everything. Who cares about what it looks like? Now we're truly sculpting. We're enhancing natural definition lines, showing muscles underneath, showing the contour, maximizing the waist cinch, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, you're just, you understand the thing better. How we transfer the fat in has also improved. I mean, the old days, literally just shove in the fat and hope for the best. Now we're carefully putting it in. We're using different machines. Some people are even supplementing their fat with other stuff. You know, So that's become a big thing. We put someone in a garment to cinch them down. Afterwards, the garments have gotten better. Our techniques, our understanding of what to do with them have gotten better. And I think what major thing that has evolved in terms of this procedure is now I think a lot of the guys who are doing a lot of this are really pushing for proper massage and post-op care, which I used to think, now I'm the most important thing that matters in this procedure. No, I only am one part of it. The massage, the care they get after the procedure for months is so critical in really slimming them down, shaping them okay and everything like that and enhancing the longevity of their result and the beauty of their results. So, you know, again, it's evolved from being just something that you do to now such a nuanced thing. And I think we're still evolving that. I think we're gonna get better with that as the years go on. Yeah. And um, lastly, I guess if you would uh, just like to take a second to, cause you know, like I said earlier, if you go on your Instagram, you can uh, very quickly see many of your success stories. And I guess instead of maybe like, like talking about specific ones, I guess maybe, Talk about just like what it means to you for someone to maybe update you a month or two after mm -hmm. their their procedure and, you know, just say that they're loving what they have. And but like what I guess, what does that mean to you just as a surgeon, as a doctor? It's a pretty intense experience because on the most superficial level. I think, believe it or not, I think the thing that is most important to me, more than any specific type of results or whatever, is just knowing that when my patients sort of, through the recovery process, they've gotten there, without even talking to what kind of result they get, they walk around with the happiness and confidence of saying, yeah, this is what I wanted. And this was the right thing. And, you know, I just feel so goddamn good because of it. Okay. And we have to be careful with what I'm saying, because you know what? I don't want someone to get a result and, you know, transform from someone who's like a meek, scared little mouse into this, you know, vivacious, crazy person who their life has changed. Because if that was the case, they have bigger problems that they need to address rather than, you know, just supposedly a breast enhancement or lipo giving them that kind of confidence because mm. it shouldn't. For me, it's more a matter of someone saying, you know, this just bugged me. And now I can walk around with a confidence of knowing that I was right. It helped me. I feel better. You know, I did it for me and I got the result that I wanted. So that's the most important thing to me, just having a satisfied, happy patient. Okay. But yeah, I think about specific examples all the time. I walk around, you know, I see people who say like, I just, you know, I honestly, I look at my boobs in the mirror and I'm just so happy. Like it just makes me feel so good. Or a lot of times I can move around better. I feel more comfortable in my clothes. I don't have all this excess skin or fat or whatever. And, you know, it's just that thing. Uh, yeah, I have seen people walk around with a new glimmer in their eyes. So it's a really great feeling. And it is just an evolution of my experience with this patient. I mean, I'm lucky that I get to catch them at the point of transition and, you know, going from sort of a place where they weren't super happy to a place where they are. That's nice. I've also been around to, like I said earlier, talk to and help people when they hit the lows as the result of their procedure. Mm -hmm. And let's not also forget, I mean, every surgeon has them. We have patients who are not happy with their results. And such an important part of my job is 
helping work through that process. Yeah. Wow. And I really like what you said in terms of, you know, someone wanting to do this so that their whole life will change around. I kind of, I like seeing it as this thing where you're coming, you know, to just, you know, fix that cherry on top of an yes. already, you know. I love that. Yeah. You start saying that. We just put the cherry on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, man. You have that one. But um, man, no, like, I think that's a, a beautiful mindset to have about it because for sure I, I can imagine you know going into it with like maybe just deeper life issue finding yourself that like those problems have not been resolved by changing this thing so it's great that you're aware of that as a surgeon but man again i really cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come on here just because i just learned a ton i love it i'm sure that listeners learned a ton listening to this but seriously man Thank you. And it would be great to have you back on sometime. I loved it. I mean, I really love to talk about this and talking to someone like you really appreciate that you put in the work, you looked into this and you, it was so nice to have such a, just a good conversation about it. I swear, I wish this could last for another four hours because I can talk <laughs> your ear off about it. So whenever you want, I'm definitely down to talk about more. This is fun. I hope your followers enjoy it. And you know, any questions, anytime I'm always around. Awesome. Thank you, man. And for people listening, as usual, if you made it all the way to the end, I appreciate you. And this is a song called Life, and we're out. Peace.